0: Howdy, 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 and welcome, everyone, to One on One with Jasper Cole. This is your host, Mr. Jasper Cole, and we are coming to you live from Blog Talk Radio right here in Hollywood, California. Um, Everyone, please follow us on social media. Uh, One on One J. Cole is on Twitter and Instagram. Also, Jasper Cole says, S-A-Y-S, on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to my Facebook page on uh, Jasper Cole, and then if you go to the website, uh, JasperCole.com, there is a link for one-on-one with Jasper Cole, and it will take you to all of the archive shows that we have. Um, tonight, I am solo because my trusted co-host and producer, Mr. John Williams, is back in Ohio. As you know, his mom is um, has been ill, and he went home to be there with her. But uh, he sends everyone his best, and of course, so tonight the inmates are running the asylum. It's, it's Jasper running the board into the ground. No, I'm kidding. That's not gonna happen. And so what if it does? I've got an amazing guest coming up. Um, This is actually a reschedule from a few months ago, uh, or actually maybe longer, I I apologize. We were supposed to do uh, an interview and I had to cancel, but this guy, Dustin Ferguson is so busy. uh, I'm surprised he even had time to come talk to us tonight. He is a producer, a director, a writer, He's owned his own distribution companies. I mean, there's pretty much, I don't think there's anything this guy doesn't do. Um, He is a client of our wonderful friend, Mr. Joe Williamson, and we've been wanting to get him on the show and talk to him. So I think we have him now. So I'm going to see if we, is Dustin, are you there? Is this Mr. Dustin? It is hey buddy how are you
1: great how are you
0: we're we're giving you real applause here you deserve it (laughs) i appreciate it i appreciate you taking the time i know how busy you are um welcome to the show everyone if you want to call in it's uh 563-999-3025 and we can Take some calls from Mr. Dustin Ferguson. Well, congratulations, first of all, on all your hard work and accolades and uh, everything that you have going on. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I want to talk to you. Well, I see that you're uh, from Kansas. So I guess the obvious question is, how does a nice boy like you from Cam- <laughs> Kansas end up, end up wanting to do horror films in Hollywood? How did all this start for you?
1: Well, it's interesting. Actually, I was born in Kansas, raised in Nebraska. And I lived in Nebraska until about two years ago.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm fresh here in Cali, actually. I had been – I grew up just a fan of horror films because my parents were. You know, they – um, I was a child when VHS was the popular format, so my parents had <laughs> right. a VHS collection of you know, Night of the Living Dead and Alice Sweet Alice and Day of the Trip. Oh, and God. Of the, classics. The, good,
0: the classics, yeah.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I grew up on, and so naturally you know, I became a fan and began collecting horror films myself. And I, around when I had about 6,000 horror films, I actually opened up my own video store in 2017 – That specialized in horror and exploitation films. And it was actually selling. I had the store for 11 months and ended up selling it to a guy that was a regular customer that began supplying posters to my business who ultimately became my screenwriter for Nemesis 5 and Robo Woman and several other films. He bought the business from me and I moved out here to Cali.
0: Well, you know, Justin, this is amazing cuz I I I wrongfully assume, you know, like y- y- you have to be here in Hollywood and we had Bill Oberst Jr. on my last show and we were having this whole conversation and I, I'd love to get your take on it. I mean, you're obviously an example of you don't have to be in Hollywood to create, you know, content and make right. movies. Um right. I, I that's the beauty of today's industry. What um well, what made you want to end up here to leave Nebraska. Um, and, I mean, you have almost 70, if not more, credits already. So it's amazing that it, you did all of this in Nebraska. It
1: is, and that's why I'm here now. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you I, had sort of I had had
0: done, run your course in Nebraska?
1: No, that's exactly what it was. I was, Nemesis 5 was my 50th feature. And it was oh the God. last movie that I, I shot in Nebraska. And I was actually on set um, it was maybe the second or third day we were filming and it, it was like an epiphany. It just hit me. I was like, I have to go to LA. Like, what am I doing here? You know, I've done 50 movies. I'm still working two jobs to pay my bills. I'm going mm-hmm. in circles. I mean, I, I was creating content and I was providing opportunities for people there in the industry, but it wasn't, I was just going in circles. I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't getting richer. I wasn't getting more famous really or any of that.
0: Right, so, right, You know,
1: What can you, what can you do from Nebraska? So it was just like, you know, my vision – I think everybody before they come to L.A., they, they picture L.A. as this big, scary, intimidating place, and the people mm. are mean, and it's dirty, and all this stuff. But what I had never considered was I don't have to live in L.A.
0: to still right. work in L.A. Right. But I live
1: in a really nice town in Southern California that's beautiful and gorgeous, and it's very inspiring for me creatively, and I've never been happier. And it's, to me, it seems like looking back, this is so such a natural transition that, like, of course I was going to end up here, and of course I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. But before two years ago, I couldn't even imagine it.
0: Well, what's amazing is I know actually where you live, and you're right. And, you know, I moved out to Palm Springs for the exact same reason of – but the the irony is (laughs) it took me 30 years of being in LA to realize, you know, Jasper, you can actually move outside of LA and have a better quality of life. But, um, and you're so yeah. <laughs> young. I mean, I, you're, you're not even 40 I, yet. And so what's Correct. great about you though, is you arrived in LA already seasoned, you know, so many people yes. come to LA wanting to start. And so what a, what a great advantage you already had having had. And I didn't even teachers. realize
1: that. Yeah. I didn't right. even think about that. You know, like I thought I had barely just a you know, that was what mm. it, in my 'cause in my mind, I tell Joe, my manager this all the time, like he's constantly telling me that I'm bigger than I that I think I am. Because I to me right. I'm like when when someone comes up to me and they they'll talk to me about a movie of mine, I think they're lying. You know, I'm like, You haven't <laughs> seen that, nobody's seen that you know, it it's so it's like I didn't really realize that doing just doing fifty films and showing up to LA with that under my belt is gonna give me so much work. Like that's what the people here look for. They want turnaround, they want to make sure you follow through when you have a track record and people say good things mm-hmm. about you. You just get all the work. And I didn't expect that. I thought I would come here and it would be like, everybody says it's going to struggle. I mean, it lasts longer than three months and who knows what's going to happen. But the (laughs) moment I got here, I've been fighting people off with a pick. I mean, like you said yourself, I'm, I'm so busy and I never thought that that would happen.
0: I love to hear these stories because you know, like you said, we hear the old cliche of of the other part, and I love the fact that you sort of, you know, got your footing and and did your work in Nebraska before you got here. And big, first of all, big shout out to Joe Williams and your manager because we love him and yes. he is such a supporter of talent. And boy, when he gets behind somebody, he's he's behind you a hundred percent. So he's he really amazing.
1: is. He's, he's the best person in my life, really.
0: And and again, he has a great passion for. The genre now, so I think yeah. it's fascinating too that your parents were horror f- fans because you know again we I I'm a good bit older than you, but I was of a generation where you know we were having to like, you know sneak away sometimes to watch the classic horror films or <laughs> we didn't tell our parents, <laughs> you know they oh, no, thought it was too, is, too I, still, I, I still
1: went. Yeah, right, and, and it's funny because I still had to – that was my punishment was the thing. They knew that because they had raised a horror fan that if I was in trouble, they would take away my horror movies or I couldn't oh, watch a movie right. that was rated R. And so it was funny because it actually affected me kind of the rest of my life when this happened. I remember one summer, I can't even remember what I did. I got in trouble, and I wasn't allowed for a while to rent R-rated movies. So what I did was I rented <laughs> unrated movies. Because your oh, parents don't know what unrated they means. Don't know they don't the know difference. that it's necessarily worse than an R-rated. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, you know, when I was 11, 12 years old, I was running movies like Faces of Death and Blood Diner and Cannibal oh Holocaust and stuff that, like, kids are not supposed to be watching because I got my R-rated privilege taken away.
0: Right, so was funny right. I think
1: ultimately being exposed to that stuff at a young age, you know, and being the creative person I am, I, I interpreted it different and it really – it's just sort of like grew my love and appreciation of the genre as a whole. I wasn't just watching Freddie and Jason growing up. I was watching European cinema and African horror films and, you know, all like all the stuff that, that, that you don't
0: really normally discover until you're older. Until you're older. Right. What a blessing that was for you. Now, what was your very first project that, that you did? I mean, in terms of your, I guess your first official feature that you did in Nebraska.
1: Okay, well, there's kind of like – it's like a three-step answer here because the first (laughs) thing I did that broke me into the industry was I was the editor of Freak Away Camp 4, and that was that's a franchise title, so that that got me out there. But the first thing I ever shot was a short film called Scalps 2, and it was a sequel to Fred Olin Ray's 1983 Scalps film that he actually watched and officially released on his Blu-ray of the original film, so that also got me out. But my first feature was in 2000. Nine, and it's a movie called Terror at Black Tree Forest. And I just announced, I I released this morning a poster because it's being rebooted uh, and has a British remake.
0: I wanted to get to that. Congratulations. Yes, that's exciting. Now, yeah, because going back, you know, you really are known, quote unquote, I know you don't think you're known, but you are known for doing the sequels and the remakes of these classics uh, horror films. And so- you know, there's a company Asylum, I don't know if you know Asylum, yeah. but the, oh, yeah. you know, they're kinda they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, shout out to David Ladd and all of them and I've worked for them. But you know, they sort of put themselves on the mat sort of more doing the mockumentary, you know, they sort of Yeah would,
1: mockbusters, yeah.
0: They would do more of the mockbusters, but you yours were more homage, right? They were more Yeah. How would you how to, to categorize yeah. Yeah,
1: like like you said, an homage. I, I kind of it's weird because I don't think I realized that until even more recently that mm-hmm. I, I always have this tradition of doing yes, sequels and reboots and stuff. I think just because of my fan, being a fan of the genre, I want to, you know, this. When I first started making movies, I never intended on anybody seeing them. The first three movies I made. <laughs> I intended to make them and watch them myself. I actually had friends beg me to do a screening, a public screening for my first movie, Terror Factory Forest. I agreed, and that's how my steps started to get out there. And I was selling, literally selling copies out of the stuff in my car in the parking lot there. And <laughs>
0: oh so my like, God. I
1: never, 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 you know, I didn't do this to get out there. I did this for myself because I was like, you know, horrors changed so much. I want to go back to making movies the way they used to when they were good. And so my intentions were to make a movie as if it was still 1993, you know, like I have right. old style of right. doing it. That the takes are longer. We have why takes. The acting's a notch above the amateur acting because I make them. You know, deliver the lines with compassion. We have good locations. <laughs> all of that. Because I'm trying to right. trying to keep it alive. You know, and
0: right. I never right. really
1: saw that as like the way I do things until I noticed a transition. Because I do my own post art, so I kind of I kind of do everything with my stuff.
0: You do. So you like do it my, all. I mean, literally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like with the posters, I started homaging older horror films with the designs because the films themselves are homages. That's sort of just what my style has become, and I think i created an niche market of people that want movies the way they used to be for real. Not these Hollywood, like, oh, Hatchet's like a throwback slasher, but like a real 80s-style, low-budget Killer in the Woods movie. You know, like no one's well, really I mean- doing that.
0: Aren't you? I mean, does, I mean, I've I've dipped my toe in horror. You know, I've been lucky to do some horror. I Oh, you in the Thirteenth I know, but I well, I was cut out. But anyway, <laughs> we I know it doesn't matter how many times I say that. People, I, I shot it, so whatever. But no, it's uh, yeah. you know, I'm always amazed at the the fans and also like like you said, the passion that like people have for horror and they know their movies, they know the actors, they know the history. Yeah. Of it, and I think that's just something, like you said, that starts really young for a lot of people. You know, it's something that it they does. click on early. Um, yeah, and you, so it's interesting too because you you have all these talents, and so are you, would you say you are, um, self taught? I mean, we're all basically self taught, yeah, taught, but you know, in yeah, terms of I didn't go to making posters, or anything. right? Right,
1: yeah, no, definitely. Um, I actually, when I had done. Before I did with Camp 4, what actually got me that was I was a fan editor. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that, but there's a whole community right. on the internet. Yeah, people that do fan edits of like Star Wars movies where they take deleted scenes and put it back in or they create their own preferred version. So I was doing that with horror films. I had done over 100 fan edits that I put out for free on the internet under the name Retro Horror Remix, and I had a whole fan base of those. And so there was a guy, John Klassa, in Australia who had discovered me that way, and he was the one that had the rights sickway camp so he hired me based on my passion and my free editing jobs i was doing to edit that film and that's actually kind of what the passion itself is literally what got me into the industry
0: amazing if you're just joining us we're talking to the uh iconic truly iconic at 37 years old mr dustin ferguson um and and we are talking all things horror today and especially somebody who does it all which is amazing to me and that's what you know i i'm big on that too i talk about i tell actors all the time you know don't just sit by the phone and wait for to ring you got to create your opportunities and so um and tell everyone that's listening (laughs) where can they stalk you no i'm kidding where can they follow you on (laughs) on social media or your website you know all that all that good stuff
1: um okay, well, I honestly, I have just a regular Facebook page under Dustin Ferguson. I keep it public. Anybody can friend me, you know and, and talk to me there. I have a director's page that is the only Dustin Ferguson is all one word, and then I have an Instagram that's the only dirty d, but that's focused mostly on my rap rap career. So if you want the horse up, it's more on Facebook.
0: right. We haven't even gotten to the rap career. I mean, God, this <laughs> <laughs> would you you're just adding more and more. Uh you're not you're not Jamaican. Someone said to me the other day, Jasper, are you Jamaican? I'm like, no, I just need to make money. <laughs> I just have I just right? have bills I'm a money whore. I have bills to pay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um but no, so in terms of acting, in terms of how you find your actors, do you hold casting sessions? Is it mostly offers? Do you go to referrals?
1: I've only done one true casting session and it was for the shark movie last summer Mm -hmm. because it was a very big project, but typically when I was in Nebraska, you know, it was very close knit. And so it started out with like, you know, friends and family being in the movies and it sort of grows a little bit. And then you kind of have like a group of people that are kind of like in all the movies. So I sort of had like 20 to 30 actors, you know, that I kind of went between for all the different films. And so when I came to California, what's been interesting is that I've sort of had to rebuild all that here, like make the new connections, new friends, mm-hmm. people that are in this with me. But additionally, now a lot of the people from Nebraska are flying out here on their own dime to still be in my movies.
0: I love so that. Like,
1: well, that that's yeah, very kind of like that a lot amount of it. Yeah, that
0: says a lot about you. Well, I love that. You know, I, it, I, you have a very um, Quentin Tarantino vibe to you in the sense that you know Quentin worked in video stores and, and he, Quentin had a passion for the business early on and he kind of just lived and breathed it. And, 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 you know, and he likes to work with the same people. A lot of the, a lot of directors that I admire, they do sort of have a repertoire, you know, Scorsese has his, his core people. We could go down the list of, of directors. Were there or are there, um, well, first I'll say in the horror genre, were there the Wes Cravens or people's work that you looked up to as a director
1: when I first started, <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, I was a fan of all sorts of different types of horror, but I think that what I found most inspirational was the real low-budget stuff like the rural mm-hmm. horror that was being made in, like, Kentucky. You know, like, people like William Girdler The Three on a Meat Hook and, and movies that are just more obscure that you could tell that they were pooling the resources and pulling off a, a, a Midwest feature, you know, because that's where I was. And so that at right. the time was the sort of stuff that inspired me. But as I've grown as an artist and, and I have more artistic, I guess, an artistic flair to the films and higher production quality, I would definitely say that people like Dario Argento and mm. John Carpenter are my two biggest inspirations.
0: John yes, Carpenter John. because,
1: yeah, he, he taught me the importance of music in film because without the soundtracks in his movies, they wouldn't be half as good. They, they are very reliant on the mood that the music creates, and that's so important to me. All my movies are very reliant on the soundtrack. And then with Argento, he's the person that taught me that films are art. When I was 17 years old, I discovered him and went on a binge one weekend and watched all his movies, every single one, even bootleg copies I could get. I became quickly obsessed with them because I learned then that movies are art and I started treating my approach to them completely
0: differently. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, um, it's Carpenter. You're right. You know, a lot of times the audiences, you know, if, if the music's done the right way, you. You don't notice it but then you do notice. I know that sounds weird, but there it's 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 done in such right. a way it that it becomes
1: all one together.
0: Right, right. And that's so hard to do because you know, we've all seen those other movies where the movie kind of the music kind of dominates the movie mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're just like, could you tone that down, you know, turn that down a little bit. And also, you know, I hate the movie the music that is telling me exactly when I need to be scared or, you know, <laughs> yeah, when like I need it's building
1: to be, up a suspense build or yeah.
0: Right, I mean, unless it's like a spoof or something, but that's right. always like the, that's always like the first thing you spoof, you know, is the da da da, da yeah. like in Jaws yeah. or whatever. Um, no, so yeah, so but since that time of doing the the remakes and uh, sequels or whatever, you've you've launched your own series of films. Tell us about Meat Hook Massacre. Now you've done one through three, but how how did that initial Meat Hook Massacre one come to you?
1: Well, there's actually we just finished part six. Oh, uh, there's six actually in the franchise, and there's two more scheduled, so there's gonna be eight total.
0: Now, did you um, uh, do? You, is there an end inside? I mean, do you know if there's an yeah, end? Yeah, or Part is it, eight is the it, end.
1: Part eight is okay. The end. Originally, originally part five was the planned ending. Uh, yeah, I kind of have to explain the story. So part one I did back actually in 2015. It was originally a work for hire that I've since regained the rights over. It was a movie okay. that we shot on svhs because it was meant to be a period piece as if it was a 1989 horror film so the movie right. takes place in 89 all the cars are from the 80s the outfits everything we shot it on on vhs and it came out that way and then after i got the rights to that um i decided to do a sequel and so i did part two that i put on amazon prime and the first month i know filmmakers talk a lot about how much they don't make but i made like three thousand dollars on the first month on the hook that's great State, which is like, an insane amount to make on amazon prime so i decided then i'm like well we got to make this like a franchise at least do a couple more so at that point i did a comic book and i had an action figure and a nintendo game all made
0: oh and my so God.
1: once i once i did all that of course the popularity rose and then i decided to commission but the first one i i produced which was part three it was shot in texas by jim devolve and it was based on the comic book and it was a prequel so he went and did part three then after I moved out to California, I hired John Ward in Vegas to make Part 4, which is a sequel, technically to two, since three is a prequel. And then I made Part 5 just this last spring, and that was called yeah. The Hook 5, The Final Chapter. It was me returning to the series. It's a sequel to Part 1, like how the new Halloween is, how it's like a right. sequel to Part 1. So it's like right. we follow the events, we, we follow up on the original character from part one, we we provide closure, and we ended it. Because the idea was, the guy that plays the killer in those movies, Robert Langford, he's Bubba in all the movies. We had an agreement that we would only do the series together, and when it ends together, you know, when it ends, we're ending it together. And he's from Lincoln, he's Nebraska, and I was flying up here to be in him, so.
0: Oh, so wow, that's of, amazing.
1: Yeah, so at the end of part five, we had a heart-to-heart, because he was on his last thing here, he's about to fly back to Nebraska. And we both kind of got teary-eyed, because we... We decided we're starting a new franchise together called Sickle the Scarecrow, and it's going to be a three-part series. It's going to be the Scarecrow and all that. So the idea was to end Me Hook with part five and move on to that. And then so we kind of had a heart-to-heart about it, and that, you know we we're sad about Bubba being over and all that, but we're going to move ahead with Sickle the Scarecrow. And then so he goes back to Nebraska, and a little bit of time passes, and all these people are begging for a part six. <laughs> I think, like all my fans are like, you have to do it. Like you left that because we left part five on a cliffhanger. It's supposed to be the end, but I left it on a cliffhanger. So I was like, Oh, you got to explain it. You got to explain it. You got to explain it. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, I already told Robert, he's not coming back. As Baba. I'm kind of moving on. So it started out as this project I was just simply producing. I found a different director, DeMonica Van Sant, a.k.a. Uh, Jeremiah Douglas. I was like, he was going to direct that movie. We ended up hiring someone different to play the new Bubba, and it was going to be all these things. It was going to be like a new sort of direction for it. It was taken over by new people, and I was handing it off. But then right. slowly, one by one, the original actress from part two was like, oh, I'm going to be in California. I can appear in the film if you want me to. So I ended up writing <laughs> her in, and then I started involving other characters from the series, and then it became this whole thing. I was like, Ugh. So I called up Robert. I was like, hey, you got to come back. We're going to do a part six. And so it all became this thing. And at that point, I'm like, okay, now we have to set the real deadline. So the idea is we did part six. Part seven is part of the scary six, which is six films I'm producing in 2020. And then part eight, I'm going to return and direct, and it's a versus movie. So it'll be Bubba versus somebody, and that's how we're going to end the franchise. I'm not going to say who
0: Wow. That's amazing. Now, when you direct, do do you tend to use the same DP? In general, or have all, you worked with different yeah, different ones?
1: I, I, most of the time, it's been me, actually. Like, for the longest oh, okay. time, I was shooting them. But then, starting around 2017, I got some bigger budgets, and I started hiring more crew. And I hired Mark Timian in, like, 2014. And he did pretty much all my movies up until I moved here, like, all through Nemesis 5. And then I came out here. I started shooting, again, kind of by myself. But lately, um, on the last couple films, it has been a guy named Matt Leal, and he is going to be part of the official lineup of SCS Entertainment, my, my new version of the label for next year. So he'll be my regular DP.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, do you find – is it is it more freeing for you as a director when you actually have another DP? But then I guess on the flip side, when you're just doing it all yourself, it may be – is it maybe faster so and you have a little more control? <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that that that's that has been my, my biggest struggle in my career because I go Right I mean nobody I hate to say it without sounding like I'm bragging, but just nobody can keep up with me. You know, I go very quick, I get I'm very efficient, I got things very streamlined. We go out, we bang out a movie in three days and it's done. You know what I mean? And
0: it's Oh my god. So once i doing a movie
1: So when I do a movie, I'm 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 very I'm in the zone. You know, it's like bam, 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 we're done, no problem. And when I got a DP – I gotta let them set up their shot all fancy and move this light well, now. And, like, and, like and they hours. might have
0: a, they might have an opinion or two, you know. Yeah, about... they got their <laughs> opinions. I have to argue with. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, all of that. So I mean, it, it's it's a double edged sword because some movies I just can't have another DP because I do so right. much. I do like ten, eight to ten a year, and so some of those right. are commissioned, and some of those I have, I have fast turnarounds. So I will have to go shoot them, but. I know when I have someone like Matt or another DP, like I had Chuck Serino shoot my short movie, I know that mm-hmm. when I bring in someone that's skilled in what they do, I'm going to get that much better of a looking product. So right. I kind of have positioned myself to save them for like the big projects because I do right. like, you know, three or four small films and then three or four big films.
0: That makes sense. And so what is your quickest turnaround when you say on some of your smaller Films. What's the quickest you've did, actually shot one? Um, House
1: House of Pain was a two day movie. Legitimately, we shot it on a Saturday and a Sunday, and they released it on Amazon Prime like a month later.
0: Oh my God! First of all, well, I, I'm put I'm pitching for a job because I love to. I hate sitting around and not doing it I love people who shoot really fast so whenever you have like a, you know a, a two-day movie please call me because I'm not one of those oh, actors yeah. <laughs> you know you, you hear these actors talk about they need all this time and I'm always like dude really we could just shoot this like in three days and be tomorrow to yeah seriously. I'm like really good on the first like two takes and so if that's all we're gonna me get too. then I'm and it's like, all if it's about good the on the first, second
1: take move on
0: I'm all about tape uh, filming the rehearsal because sometimes that's, right. even if, if you have a rehearsal, you know what I mean. But
1: yeah, yeah, you do a run through, and people are like, "Oh, should we run camera?" I'm like, "Yes, because this, this is good. We don't have to film anything
0: else." Like, like, yeah, We're we on the same page. We're on the same page. I love yeah. that. Um, now, tell us about. I love. First of all, I love the titles. Horn Dogs Beach Party, which oh, the title alone is just classic.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I was kind of on that
1: a kick when I moved out here that since I was next to the ocean, I really wanted to make a beach comedy because I love those, <laughs> you know, the eighties. I did are So much fun. And so I was like, well, you know, I gotten together with this producer, Henrik Kudo, and he had a little bit of money and he's like, well, you know, I'll give you some money if you want to go make this film. So I made Dog's Beach Party and the the basic premise of it is it's like, Two guys show up at an Airbnb that was wrongly booked to two girls on the same weekend that had guys' names. It's like you know, like the chick's names like Andy or something like that, or you know, like right. the pattern of the guy. So there's a little confusion so they're forced to spend the weekend together. So of course they fall in love and hilarity ensues and all that. And it was a really fun movie. And that was another one. We shot that in three days. It was a Friday, wow. Saturday and Sunday. But what sucked about that was that it's a beach comedy, and two of the three days was like the only days that year it rained in California.
0: Of course. Of course.
1: I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, li- we literally had to run, we go inside and wait for the rain to stop, and go outside and try to shoot a scene before, you know. Oh, my God. It was just like so much of that. But it, so it was a very daunting experience. <laughs> but the movie, the, the version I got to cut together and everything, it's very, I had a lot of fun. It's a great film. It, it's a- it really did its job as a beach comedy.
0: Well, and it's fun to shoot a comedy too, right? After, especially if you, when you've
1: yeah. been
0: doing heavy so dramas much horror. or yeah. yeah,
1: definitely it was Although, a nice change. And I like doing that. Like I do documentaries and stuff, and it changes the pace.
0: Changes the pace. I mean, like I said earlier, I, I it, all really good uh, horror films have usually have some comedy in them, you know. Well, uh, and I tell
1: everybody because everyone that's watched it, it's so funny. They're like, so when does the killing start? Because it literally feels like it's one of my <laughs> movies without the killing. Like
0: it's right. the jokes
1: and the sex stuff without the deaths, you know. It's like this just feels like it's missing deaths or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are waiting for it now. What what was the documentary Penny Pinchers um, that you did?
1: Okay, so I did that in 2016. Yeah, and it came out in 2017. It's it's um. There's a lot of documentaries out there about like 80s horror and all that stuff, but no one talks about the era of. The directors that went out and shot on video, like the stuff that they mm-hmm. were putting out themselves, like really micro-budget stuff. So I got a lot of the filmmakers from the era together, like Todd Sheets and Phil Herman and Todd Jason Cook to all come together and talk about what it was like sort of growing up in that era of making films and what what it's like for them today with
0: distribution. Right.
1: And so it was maybe like, I think, eight different directors in on that one, and then ended up doing a part two a little over a year ago that had another like eight or ten directors in it. So it's kind of I amazing.
0: love that. Now where can people find that? Where can we see that? Because that's something I, I want to watch.
1: Number one is available freaking like everywhere. I'm pretty sure okay. the number one's even on Amazon. But part just, two just Google
0: um, it, it'll come up.
1: Yeah, yeah, just Google it. Yeah, it's on Google Play, iTunes, all that. It's it should be everywhere. And then part two, I just signed a deal with Wild Eye releasing, so they have that oh becoming yeah, no.
0: Oh great! I first of all, I love documentaries as much as I love. It's funny. I love acting in movies, and and I've gotten really. I don't know if you feel this way. Sometimes people ask why do I watch some a lot of bad reality TV or documentaries. I think sometimes I like to do watch the things that I don't do for a living, so I don't really know. Yes. All, the, all the all the ins oh and outs, my right? God.
1: That's exactly yeah. like before I go on production for my movies, I have to watch like or usually it's like a palate cleanser like right afterwards i have to watch a big budget hollywood action movie and i'll just be like okay oh, you know right. like that's what i need for relief like yeah i do the same thing i watch trashy reality tv all- and i don't even really like it out can i
0: can't no. say i like reality uh-huh.
1: tv but i find myself watching my 600 pound life and catfish all the time for that very reason
0: well, yeah, because cause now you know, for me, when I watch something, I, I'm a constantly. I, here's what the actor in me does. It's so funny. Plus, I'm also old. But now I watch something and I'll be like, "Oh shit, God! I wonder how long they were outside in the rain." Or, oh man, That's exactly I wonder what how. what I, I do. You know, That's all I, can I, think about. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder who was who was sick that day. You know, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why well, they had yeah, to do with know, this
1: because of that? Or yeah. Yeah,
0: it takes. You know, I can't just like free my mind and watch something but with but i do love documentaries so i'm definitely going to watch and i love documentaries that uh about the industry so it if it's directors or actors or producers any of these kind of um like spectrum news spectrum one out here on the cable channels they have something called round table and they they'll have like six directors or six actors you know and they all discuss um without being too like cheesy and discussing the process and all that they just t- kind of talk about their careers and that's one reason i love doing I love my show good. yeah it's because i can talk to people like you and other actors and kind of just shoot the shit that's how i just feel like we're sitting around and you know t- talking the biz so to speak um yeah totally. yeah but so i think w- looking looking ahead and this is the other thing i'm big about always telling people live in the moment, enjoy the moment where you are, you know, cause when I look back on my career, I was constantly trying to get to that quote, invisible next level, which really didn't exist. Right. I don't know what that was, exactly. but, but, you know, but we still have, we set goals for ourselves. So just looking ahead, I, obviously you want to keep doing what you're doing, but what's, what's on the horizon for you? I know you've announced today about terror at black tree forest, but what, what else is happening?
1: I think, you know, really where I'm going now is just kind of becoming the next Roger Corman or Charlie Band. I mean, I, didn't, oh. I don't think I ne- really intended to do that, but I think that mm-hmm. I, I'm in my 30s and I've done almost 100 movies and I have no desire to stop. You know what I mean? It's going right. to go for a while. So I kind of think that that's – with with way my company's is going and, and producing more and bringing in all these different filmmakers, it's sort of like kind of becoming – the bigger, the big side of things in the indie industry. There's all these individual filmmakers and then there's like us sort of all pooling together. So I think that it's going to grow into something and I think that it'll, it'll be kind of grown in that direction in my future.
0: And I, you know, you're so right. Roger Corman, that is such a great example. And who was the second guy you mentioned? Char- Charles? Charles Band from Full Moon. Oh yeah, that's master what. the toys, all that. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I auditioned for him a few times and I really didn't know, this was some years ago, it was a movie that Mas- Master P was, uh, involved with this his son Little Romeo, but I, I at that time I really didn't know I knew who Roger Corman was and I had met him and stuff, but I didn't know who Charles Band was. But that's another example where Charles is an example of a guy who has this whole prolific, you know, horror career and 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 catalog of movies. And some people don't know him or haven't discovered him. They probably know a lot of the movies, but they just don't quite right. con- connect it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so have have you worked with either Roger or Charles yet?
1: I, unfortunately, haven't worked with Roger. And, you know, that's sort of like on my bucket list because I know he's getting up there in age. And so that's sort of been like, I have a sense of urgency about about working with him. Right, right. Charlie Band, I was very lucky to work with on the new Puppet Master movie like three months ago.
0: And how was that, amazing?
1: Oh my God, yes. It was like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be like the next, you know, Charles Band. So like, right. I grew up on the full moon movies, like well, I all the Puppet Masters, all the demonic toys, Puppet Species, all that stuff. That that was sort of the late eighties and early nineties. That was when I was a kid was and a teenager, and that was it. and so like to me, it's sort of like the ultimate. Would get you know, growing up thinking like one day to get to make one of these movies, you know, and then then there I was three months ago on a fucking Puppet Master set, you know, it, it was crazy. <laughs>
0: and it did, well and luckily it didn't disappoint because you know there's that other flip side of, as we always hear you know sometimes when you when you kind yeah. of meet the people you admire you know sometimes they don't quite quote live up to the expectations or whatever so it's always great when the opportunity comes and and it works out in a great way yeah
1: well and surprisingly yeah cuz i mean with with that situation everybody knows he doesn't have the best reputation out there and so i was Mm -hmm. i didn't know what to expect you know i was like "Eh, we'll see how this goes but it was very positive he was a great person i cherish i mean to me you know like that's still to me the biggest thing i worked on because it's puppet master and i got to be i got to be a victim you know and it was just like insane like i got to be in the film and it was so much but like you were saying though like on the flip side I do a lot of music videos. I've done about 80 music videos for different Mm -hmm. bands and Mm -hmm. almost all of them are like that where it's like bands. It started out being bands I grew up listening to as a teenager because what I would do is I would approach them to include their music in my film. And then as a trade, I did a music video for them. So like the first four or five years, all the music, I probably have 50 music videos I've done that were done as a trade like that. But the unfortunate thing is you get to know these bands, these Mm -hmm. people that are idols and you find out half of them are jerks and very full (laughs) of themselves and you know, it's, it it does ruin it. You know, I kind of learned, it does. I'm I'm I, I've learned from that process, and I've I've actually stepped away from doing a lot of music videos just because I didn't want to keep going through that experience of like right. no, half the bands I used to listen to do, I don't like anymore because they're a jerk. You know, like
0: right, right. So it's
1: like I kind of had to step away from that because I, I found that you you have to live. With, it's like the music industry so it's similar but different. It's like they're they're mm-hmm. their own breed of people. And you can get very wrapped into that world if you let yourself. And I kind of had to step back and, you know, I'm a horror director. Like, it's fun doing the music videos, but it, it's bringing me down in a lot of ways. And I have more fun doing this other thing. So it's sort of where I'm at now.
0: Yeah, and I've kind of gotten this um, attitude now where, you know, we there's rumors about all kinds of actors and directors and people's personalities. And, I, you know, so I try to base it. I go into projects now and I'll say, okay, I've heard about this person and maybe maybe they're difficult, but you know what? I'm I'm going to base it on how we interact together, and that way I'm not like surprised if it tr- if it goes awry. <laughs> you know, that way right. I'm prepared. But then I'm pleasantly surprised when it's all good and we get along and everything's great. So I um I try to just kind of like base it on my own experience with that individual. I mean, there are those people that right. it's just. Notoriously, you know, one horrible situation after another. Um, oh, those are sure. patterns, yeah. And some, sadly, like some said, of those. In this
1: industry, it's hard to tell though because you don't know. It's hard to trust people, and you definitely have to mm-hmm. form your own opinion.
0: Uh, well, uh, yes, of course, and, and 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 I'm really bad too. Like, if if someone I like a real close friend of mine or per, someone I know really well has a really bad experience, that really means something to me. But there's all this like rumor stuff, like you know the the friend of the uh, the gardener sisters cousin <laughs> you know right had an experience or something like that four times removed and those kind of things i don't put so much which uh, is all
1: exasperated by social media today you know it's like well, it's so and much yes, harder all that.
0: and i wanted to get around, i wanted to segue over to social media because you know i wanted to ask you Obviously I'm sure it plays a big part in your career in terms of marketing and fans and that kind of thing but when you when you were talking about starting out making the movies look like the old VHS um quality and shot the way they were shot or whatever this was all of course in the days before digital um what what do you think now of how social media what what is your take good and bad on social media and I guess more the internet in terms of how we have to use it in our business or do you think we actually do have to use it
1: well you know it's 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 a love hate thing you know like I think right that the internet breeds a lot of negativity but at the same time the way that it is in our society now it's a necessity
0: and so mm-hmm. you kind of have
1: to that I think the successful filmmakers are the ones that adapt with the times. And right, I was late in the game, getting a Facebook. I think it had been out for a few years before I was convinced to start an account. So it's
0: like mm-hmm. not something
1: I was all about initially, but now it's interesting because it is such a huge part of my career. It is the main part of my career because, all my fans, all my followers, it's all through Facebook. It's all – they don't know what the hell I'm doing without my posts. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Every day, it's part of my routine. I get up about five, 5.30 in the morning every day, no matter what time I go to bed, and I usually start – I do about three posts in the morning and maybe one in the afternoon. It used to just be one a day, but it's actually grown to the point of having enough followers and growth and, and stuff that it has to get that way so that – it, it can feed that fire, you know, like the more mm-hmm. I'm doing, the more it's growing, the more people are following. And then the more I sell the more product I have. So it's right. usually I have enough content at this point. I can do three individual posts that aren't repeated from anything else before. And that's just how I keep it going. Cause then you, you people with social media, it's it's all about branding now. Like people, mm-hmm. when they hire you, they they're hiring your brand. They're hiring everything that comes with you, your followers, right. your look, what you appeal to. And so, yeah people feel like they're a part of that when they can interact with you on social media. So if I go and make a post, and I'm like, new movie poster coming out next month, and people are like, looks awesome. And I say, thanks, buddy. They're a fan for life. Right. You know, like that's legit all you got to do. You just got to be decent, a human being to these people. And Facebook has allowed that. Like some celebrities have other people run their pages. They post things. They don't interact with their fans. But I think that that is so crucial on this level to succeed, Mm -hmm. is that you have to have people on your side. People have to feel like, Oh, I know him. He's my friend. I want to support him. I want to go right. buy his book today because he talked to me. You know, like right. that attitude. I think that social media makes it makes it good for.
0: And also, like you've done, like I have, when you do any sort of conventions or fan conventions, you know, that's when you really see how committed a lot of the fans are. And of course, the first yeah. thing you do, we do, is we connect on. Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you know, you take you take a photo and you immediately are connected. Yeah, I find, you know, I'm like you, I didn't really start until I I did a movie called MacGruber. And I think it was 2010. And I was way late. And I, you know, but I'm 55 now, and I'm determined I'm not going to be that old person that's left in the dust on technology and, um, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not technically naturally um, apt at it, you know, and I don't have a great aptitude for it, but these actors and these producers and directors who, who are always kind of poo pooing it and, Oh, I don't, you know, it's so ridiculous. And you guys are over promoting. And I get, I'm like you, I get so much work from people reaching out to me on social media. And yeah, so it's where it I all think comes it's from it's where it all comes from and and like I said, Bill Oberst jr and I were talking. Bill's big on the marketing, and um, you know, he got a lot of pushback as well from people saying, "You know, I'm so tired of seeing your your post yeah. about this and that, I'm like, well, you know what don't then don't follow me.
1: You're not buying <laughs> my movie anyway, so so sorry, you <laughs> know what I mean exactly
0: exactly <laughs> I mean, I think it's 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 amazing, I think it's a great way that we can stay connected and get work and, uh, put the, put the content out there. So when
1: well, the people well, who do, are, who are really in the industry getting work, they understand that, you know, the people that make those kind of comments, they're not there. And that's why
0: they're in their mom's basement with no picture yeah. on their, on their Twitter yeah,
1: <laughs> profile. <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, I guess that, what do you say? Like when young, when beginning filmmakers approach you today, you know, cause I get this a lot from actors like, You know, what advice do you give? Would do I give young actors? I'm just curious because there's so many avenues now that people can do to start. But what would you say to like you know new filmmakers, people wanting to get into the industry?
1: I tell everybody to not hesitate and don't second guess themselves,
0: because the
1: hardest thing in the beginning is people wanting to resist you. Like they don't want you. Nobody, people that are I hate using this word, but people in the basic world they if they know you as a fellow person that they've grown up with they will naturally be jealous at your success if you if you pass them in life and so right. it's hard starting out as an artist because you're faced with your friends and family that you had your whole life you go through that whole ordeal and so a big part of it i think is to to follow your your instincts and your gut you know if you want to do it and don't let anything technically stop you like a lot of people think oh well i don't have a, a six thousand dollar camera and i don't have a sound guy and I don't have, it's like shoot it on your cell phone shoot it with your brother in your backyard with a flashlight do something Mm -hmm. to get started because you have to start somewhere to be able to continue going until you go and shoot that first thing you're still at the same level
0: exactly that's a great that's right i i tell actors that too i say you know just act wherever you are you don't have to be in new york or, or la just act and don't turn down any jobs do every job you can. Like, lion guy ain't
1: gonna come knocking down your door, you know. Like, you gotta go out there and do, like you so said, you gotta work, make work for yourself.
0: Right, and you have to have a passion for it, you know. And I, I always say to people, if there's anything you can do besides this and be happy, you really should go do it. I mean, that's true in life. Life is so short. Why waste? Time doing something that you're not 100% committed to anyway. But, it's, and, and
1: the sad thing is, that's what everybody does. You know what I mean? Like I there's know. what 10% of society of us that goes and pursues their dreams, and i means about 90% of society just works on nine to five, and they think that that's all that they can achieve in life. And that to me is like that. That's my urge, my sense of urgency every single day is like I could never live a life like that. I could never imagine. That's my purpose it's to just exist and pay bills to like die. What the hell? No, I know. Like, I don't I want know. to live like that. Like I want to be happy. I want to have some money to do some nice things. I want to be known for my talent and creativity. Like, you know, it blows my mind that I feel like there's not more people that do try harder, but that's just the sad truth.
0: Well, and you want a quality of life, you know, that's why I think it's so yeah. smart that you, you know, lived outside of LA. Cause I mean, Dustin, listen, you know, I mean, the, the not first the homeless situation is out of control in LA but we oh, both yeah. know those we know those artists and those actors and people they they are they are dying they are they can't make it they're struggling in LA and they just won't move they won't leave the city and go 30 yep. miles outside I don't know if it's I know it's there's a something about they have have, everybody <laughs> it's like they feel like they have to say they're living <clears throat> in Hollywood which is it's really Almost like kind of play. Like,
1: well, I'm here and I just gotta stay here. You know, it's just like, but you're you to be so much better off saving money. Uh, you know, coming when you just need the work.
0: Like, it doesn't. Right. No, no, you're right. It's like a, it's like the kid stomping its feet. You know, but I'm gonna make. Yeah. I'm gonna stay here. And you know, that's great. great I, yeah. I mean, then I'm like, well, then shut the hell up and stop complaining
1: about. Yeah, that expensive. you're so broken.
0: I get rolls. You know. And it's how so expensive happens. it is. And yeah, yeah. because. You know, the truth is, I, I, this is the old man talking. But you know, it, it goes by really fast, and suddenly you wake up and you're 50. Nothing against 50, but you wake up and you're 50, and you're going, "What do I have to show for this?" And exactly. what kind of what kind my of God. quality of life do I have? So, and the greatest thing about being an artist is, you know, we want to keep inspiring people. I remember when I first moved to LA, I did a lot of temp work, and I might like like you said, I can remember. On Monday mornings, like the elevator elevator doors would open and people would walk in like, Oh, hey everybody, you know, oh, it's Monday. And then Wednesday yeah, the by routine. Wednesday Yeah, Wednesday would come and they're like, Oh, hey, it's hump day and and then Friday everyone's <laughs> jumping around. I'm thinking, We are you're just wishing away days of your life to get to the weekend.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I exactly. Know. I always talk about that. That's and people don't realize they do that. It's like they're racing through the horrible work week to get to the two days when they can have fun in life. And it's like, you know, you could do that with your whole life if you just worked a little harder and, and, and pursued your dreams. You know, but it's yeah. easier to just go work a nine to five and get married, have the white picket fence, pay the bills till you die. Just, uh,
0: right, and just kind of settle. It. And just kind of settle. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's and that's where what... they're taught. You you grow up believing that that's what you're
0: supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's right. And it's, you know, and listen, I, there are times growing when I was out here and I would watch my friends getting married and like before I was really doing, doing well or anything, you know, they'd be buying the houses and having the kids. And there's always that part of me is like, oh, God, I'm sort of, you know, I was a little, not, not, not jealous, but, you know, I actually was happy for them because I thought this is great that they're having this this kind of peaceful quality of life. But on the flip side, I'm like you. I just knew I had to be pursuing this business. So that's Well and you know they're
1: divorced now. Got three kids and they're in (laughs) debt. So who cares?
0: Well, well, I don't know if you're if you've done any high school reunions. Let's see, I guess you've had a probably a ten year I did I've never
1: gone to one. I think that there was one, yeah, but I I didn't go
0: okay because those are always i mean really that should be documentaries because those are right those are (laughs) those are eye-opening in so many ways where you go wow this is what's happened and then the person that you probably least expected to quote do a certain thing you know um they're in this whole other world that's so fascinating so well anyone just tuning in again we've got the wonderful dustin ferguson here and you can follow dustin on facebook um everything is dustin ferguson you could check out his imdb page google him you can see all the all the catalog of work he's already done and all the stuff that's coming up um dustin the time flies by so much but i wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to do the show i really hope one day we can work together that would be amazing yeah
1: i would love to i definitely want to work with you for sure hit me up
0: Absolutely, and a big shout out again to Joe Williamson, and also to Vita Ghaffari. How much do we do, lo- do? We love her, and I know you guys oh, have worked yeah, together. Oh yeah, I love Vita. Yeah, she's in lots yes. of the movies. I love her. I know she's part of your repertoire, your your company. She is. Yeah. Well, listen, buddy. Have a great rest of your your night, and uh, thank you again. And we'll we'll see you soon. You as well. Thank
1: you so much. I appreciate it. Have take, a care, take
0: care. Take <laughs> care. wow what a great guy what a great interview with mr Justin ferguson this has been amazing well guys listen um just remember uh follow us on social media once again i love interacting with all of you and getting your messages um i'm so thankful for all of your support of our film anyone home the gravitas ventures released uh it last month in november We've been getting great reviews. We've been getting great interviews. I'm so proud of this film. Big shout out to director and writer, Patrick Cunningham, co-writer and producer, Will Frank, and the whole cast and the whole crew. It was really a labor of love. This was a long time coming. We worked for many, many years on this project. And I'm so happy that it's sort of touching a chord with people. Um, It kind of really does touch on the housing situation, on mental illness, on just where we are in the society now with the have and the have nots um and I was really, really honored to work with the cast Monique Gabriella Kernan and Luke Ganlon, who plays the young boy. He's phenomenal in this movie. he really has to carry ninety percent of the film along with monique and all of my scenes are with both of them. I'm so excited for the whole team, and this is you will be seeing much more work from Patrick Cunningham, the director, and then, as if I haven't had enough great stuff happening. I have a second film captured that's opening on January 1st, 2020, and some wonderful press has already started on that. And that is from Green Apple Entertainment. Uh, Joe Arias is, again, a, another first time director. I love working with these young, passionate directors. Um, I get to play Shelly, who's kind of the creepy groundskeeper in the movie, surrounded by this phenomenal, kick ass young group of actors that play a, um, members of a rock band, Brittany Coran, Christy Prout, Christine Prout, sorry. Um, just a whole amazing group of actors. And they go back to the lead singer's home for to shoot a music video. And a lot of creepy stuff happened in the past there. And Shelley kind of shows up as um, sort of a keeper of secrets. And it's kind of a red herring in the movie. And it was, again, another long process that took uh, took a few years to come together and reshoots and true 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 in the trenches indie filmmaking but again I've seen the movie I'm so proud of it that's going to be uh, dropping on on the first so again I also want to shout out to my agents at NCA and Associates Joy Purvis in Atlanta Newman Thomas Management uh, the wonderful Joe Williamson PR. I'm now also working with uh, October Coast PR, who've been doing a lot of press as well. I'm really blessed. And as we go into this holiday season, I just want to thank everyone that works with me, uh, Mr. John Williams, Brandon Brewer, big shout out to Dennis Tyrone, of course, the main person in my life, to my family, um, all my cousins and relatives. And next Wednesday, I'm going to be having uh, neck surgery. I'm having two discs replaced. And uh, I will only be down for, say, a week or so. But we have tons of archive shows already in the can, ready to go. <clears throat> so listen, we will see you on the next episode. I can't thank you enough for following us for the last eight years. It's been amazing. Shout out, peace, love to all of you. And until we see See each other at the next show. God bless. Take care. Thanks for checking out one on one with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
1: Lucky?